0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Take your Bibles and open up with me to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven is where we'll be this morning and where we'll be next Sunday as well. Um, There's a lot of events obviously happening in the world that is around us, and so it's so reassuring to come back to the Word of God and to remember that God is in control. I'm going to start by reading a portion of a passage because I just want us to focus on who God is and who Christ is in Daniel. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 9. I'll come back and cover the rest of it later, but will you stand with me out of respect to the Word as we read Daniel chapter 7 beginning at verse 9. And Daniel says, "'As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened.'" And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You may be seated. There's one lesson for us to learn, and I know when we get into prophecy, the one thing everybody wants to know is what is next, right? I even had someone ask us this morning in the worship time, when, before we prayed, he said, I just have a question, like, what's going to happen next? When's the, like, when's the Antichrist coming? Everybody wants to know all of those events. And it struck me as I was reading Daniel chapter 7, though, that it talks about some of that The overarching emphasis of prophecy is this. The kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever. So when you're looking around this week and you're hearing more things happen and you're more concerned about what's happening, this is the phrase you want to remember. The kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Now just say that with me because you're going to have to repeat it a few times this morning, okay? Here we go. The kingdoms of men will not endure, the kingdom of God. Okay, now this is Fellowship Bible Church, and it's a little quiet in here, so you got to crank this up a little bit. Okay, you didn't really say the last part like you meant it, right? And so you just want to—you don't want to say these really important words like you know you're given like a golf clap or something. Okay, so here we go. So one, two, one, two, three, Say it like you mean it. The kingdoms of men. That's good. Okay, now I just want you to keep crescendoing that each time you have to say it, okay? So, wake up when we get there, right? Because I want to remind you that when you look at all these images in the book of Daniel, it's just this great reminder that these kingdoms are passing away. Now, with that in mind, we're going to unpack Daniel chapter 7 with four applications. And here they are. When the world feels uncertain, when leaders flaunt power, when wrongs are committed, when other kingdoms fail. Okay, that sounds like I just yanked it from your newsfeed, doesn't it, right? Here it is. When the world feels uncertain, when leaders flaunt power, when wrongs are committed, when other kingdoms fail. So here we go. The kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God endures forever. Now, before I unpack Daniel chapter 7... Let me take you back again to Daniel um, chapter 2, where Daniel Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And in this dream, he dreams of a statue. And you may remember this. He says, listen, I'm asking all magicians to tell me what I dreamed. And all the magicians say, we can't tell you what you dreamed. And Nebuchadnezzar says, then how can I believe you're not making up an interpretation? Only one man can tell him what he dreams. And he steps up and says, here's what you dreamed. You dreamed that there was a statue. It had a bronze head. It had silver arms. It had a bronze midsection and it had legs of iron and, and it had toes, a of feet of, of iron and mud combined, and then this rock came out of heaven and destroyed, the, and destroyed the statue. And then Daniel begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it means. Babylon, he says, it actually comprises four kingdoms. Now, it's important to review this because in a moment, you're going to see four beasts come out of the sea. And so, whenever you're reading the Bible, you want to say, what's coming before that can help me understand what's going on? He speaks of four kingdoms, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of the Medo-Persians, the kingdom of Greece, and the kingdom of Rome. And he basically says, there's four kingdoms coming. Some of those kingdoms, two of those kingdoms, Daniel would live to see. Two of those kingdoms, he would not live to see. But he prophesies here. Now, I like to say that a picture is worth a thousand words, okay? but only if you understand the picture, And you're about to read pictures that are intentionally frightening in Daniel chapter seven. And so we want to understand the pictures and Daniel helps us kind of interpret those. If you look over in Daniel chapter eight, another portion, so we'll do a little bit of that today. But I just want to tell you in advance, this is not about understanding all the events and when they're happening. This is about understanding, well, just say it with me one more time, that what? That's good. That's good. That's what it means. All right. So here we go. Um, Let's unpack the first phrase. When the world feels uncertain, God's plans will come to pass. When you were reading Daniel and you're hearing prophecy, but some of it hadn't occurred yet. And then it does occur. When we look back at history, you got to know that God's plans are going to come to pass. Whatever God is planning, he's going to bring that to pass. And that's incredibly comforting when we pick up our newsfeed and say, oh no, what's going to happen next? I mean, How many of you heard the phrase at some place or even spoke it this week, World War III? Can I see your hands? Okay, hands down. How many of you spoke that phrase a month ago? Probably not, right? The events of our world feel uncertain, and all of a sudden, I just want to remind you, God's plans will come to pass, and that is what we discover from the four images in Daniel chapter 7. So I'm going to pick up the reading now at verse 1. Follow along with me. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Here it comes. Now, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, let me just stop there for a second. The first thing we recognize is that he begins to see the stirring up of the sea. You say, well, what does the sea represent? Well, we know by looking over at Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, that these four great beasts that we're about to see Are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But over in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, they arise out of the sea. You say, Why are they arising out of the sea? But they're really just kingdoms coming up out of the earth. That's how a picture works, okay? A metaphor works not by giving you the actual thing, but by telling you something to tell you something else about the something. You say, I'm totally confused. I know, okay? So just that's good. Let's get the confusion out of the way with prophecy first, okay? The image of the sea is meant to show the turbulence that's going on in the world. The earth doesn't do that unless there's an earthquake. It feels stable underneath us. But if you've ever been down to uh, the shore when when there's huge waves coming in and they tell you not to go swimming and you're looking out and you're saying, those are really big waves. Like it feels turbulent, doesn't it? It feels uncertain. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. That's this image, and that's why Daniel says, sees the sea, it's really the earth and the world in which we live, but it's turbulent, it's being stirred up. And, of course, he would see it as the great sea, the Mediterranean. He would have been familiar with that sea, that's probably what he's thinking when he sees it. But what comes out of it is four great beasts. Now, I'm going to give you artist images of these, because I want you to not just hear the words, but imagine that this is what Daniel would have seen in his dream, as I read through it, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, verse 2, and behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And before we get to the second beast, let's just talk about this beast for a second. Remember the statue, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Roman, four different kingdoms? You can see the same thing here. In fact, on the Iskatar gate, that's the gate that was pulled out of Babylon, excavated out of Babylon, you may be seen it, that blue kind of uh, gate, it had various images on it. It has images of lions with wings because that was representative of Babylon. This is the vision he begins to see. So, we would say that this first one is what we would call the Babylonian Empire. You say, why is this important? Well, because the kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever, okay? So, here's this first image, the Babylonian Empire. You say, what's going on with the lion? Why are his wings plucked off? Well, remember King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated. Uh, That's the lesson we learned, by the way. Let me just give you that real quick. Only through humility will you see yourself in relation to God properly. So when I think of this winged lion and what's going on here and I'm thinking back into the book of Daniel, I remember what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He was kind of walking along his city. He was looking down and this is what he said. At the end of 12 months, he, that is Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, here's what he says to himself, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And here's what we read. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. What happened between verse 31 and verse 34 are years of Nebuchadnezzar's mental anguish. He crawls on the ground like an animal. He's humiliated. He's had a mental breakdown. He cannot engage in any of the pride that he had before. And that's what's happening. You see, when the wings of the lion are torn off, it's humiliation. When the lion is made to stand up as a man, remember Nebuchadnezzar was on all fours. When his reasoning returns to him, and God blesses him. He stands up. God allows his mind to return to him. Listen to the text again. Um, Then I looked as its wings were plucked off. It was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Nebuchadnezzar went from all of that pride to humility because that's how you see God and yourself properly. And that's why he says in Daniel chapter 4, by the way, when you go back there and read it, he says things like, um, it's a man is accounted unto nothing. Like, we are not the people we think we are. We don't see ourselves properly in our pride. We don't see God properly in our pride. Only through humility will you see yourself in relation to God properly. Here's your statement. Babylonian empire comes, and the Babylonian empire disappears. And what do we remember? The kingdoms of men... That's right. And here comes the next kingdom. I'll begin reading here in verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told to rise, devour much now remember, in the statue, we saw the head represented Babylon, the body, uh, the upper body, the silver represented um, the Medio-Persian Empire, and you see the same kind of thing here. Um, the bear was raised up on one side, basically showing that one element of the Medio-Persia Empire was stronger than the other, or you could say, some commentators say that the bear was moving. If you've ever seen a bear moving, you understand that that's kind of they kind of lurch forward like that. A number of years ago. <clears throat> Um, we were out west on a vacation, and I had this idea that um, there were some, some of the guys who worked there at that particular ranch. There was a big bear rug hanging on the side of, uh, on the, side of the wall. And I asked them, listen, I'm going to go fishing with my boys, and my boys, my son, my other son wasn't born yet, and some of the nephews, and I think it'd be kind of fun if, um, if you guys came out with that bear rug, like, over you, okay? And that probably wasn't one of my wiser decisions, okay? Um, certain members of the family may not have forgiven me for that yet, right? But by way of a, a quick tangent, like, uh, like I was looking like the brave dad because I knew this bear coming out of the woods at dusk um, wasn't really a bear. It had cowboy boots on, you know, but, but they couldn't see that, right? And so I start walking over there, and my son Adam, who was very young at the time, he was about this tall, I, I say, I'm going to go check it out. And the other brother-in-laws are saying, I don't think that's a really good idea. Okay, I said, no, 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 I'm just going to go check it out. And I turn around, and Adam says to me, Dad, I got your back, and he's got a little three-inch pocket knife out, okay? <laughs> it was a great moment for a dad, okay? But the rest of it wasn't quite so great when the other nephews got pretty upset and are still in counseling today, okay? Okay, but the point is this. If you've never seen a bear move, they kind of lurch like this. Like, I was reminded when these guys were moving out underneath this bear rug that this bear kind of goes left to right, left to right. Always when he's moving, one side goes lower than the other, right? It's the same image. The Media Persian Empire devoured the Babylonian Empire, In fact, the three ribs in its mouth, actually, some commentators believe reference three different nations that the media Persian just wiped out, right? And here's the picture. That's this next empire. And you'll notice already that the map is getting larger, right? It's moved off here um, to the east significantly. It's a reminder that this was no longer Babylon. This was much bigger than Babylon. I notice this as well, that you may remember that it was Nebuchadnezzar, um, one of his heirs, Belshazzar, was the king of Babylon. Remember when the five, when the five fingers began to write on the wall? And, um, and he was thinking his protection was found in the strength of Babylon, not knowing that that very night he would be devoured. Here's the lesson we learn. Our best protection is not found in our strength but in God's. That's right. This bear that would devour, another kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. The king of Babylon at that stage, Belshazzar, forgot that your best protection is found in God, not in your own strength. In fact, um, notice how Daniel addresses that in Daniel chapter 5. He says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, he talks about Nebuchadnezzar earlier. He was prideful, but then he was humbled and then he trusted God. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, Though you knew all of this, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of Heaven, and the vessels of His house have been brought before you. Remember the gold and silver that had been taken out of Jerusalem, transported 600 miles away to Babylon. All of a sudden, he says, "Hey, it's a great party. Why don't you bring that gold and silver stuff out that the Jews used to have in their temple, and we'll party with that stuff?" Right. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you appraise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Remember, he took the gold and he held it up and said, let's worship the gods of gold and silver, right? Hey, we're not that far from that. If you look at the events that happen in the world and you reach to the other things you find security in, you say, well, okay, I got I to move my holdings away from anything I had in Russia or Ukraine or in Europe because... And you're finding your security in your financial wealth or your ability to think it out, then you perhaps are failing in the same way Belshazzar does. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise. What I am saying is we ought to reflect upon where our dependence is. Our best protection is not found in our best protection is not found in our strength, but in God's. And that's why Daniel goes on to say. Um, which do not hear, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. And that's when Daniel goes on to say, tonight, your kingdom will be taken from you. The bear, the media Persian empire reminds us, our best protection is not found in our strength, but in God's. The Babylonian king did not look to God. He looked to his own strength. Hey, what's the one lesson we're supposed to learn today? Here it is. The kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Let me pick up the reading at verse 6. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Third kingdom. Here it comes. The third kingdom. The third kingdom represents the kingdom of Greece, the Grecian empire, which again, Daniel is now prophesying something that has not occurred and will not occur before he dies. It will occur after he dies, but we can look back and see it. In fact, this is really fascinating. Four wings, four heads. Did you realize that when Alexander the Great took and drove, uh, drove the Greek empire, that he transferred that empire and divided it among four Greek leaders upon his death? Right. Go back and look at this image again. Four heads, four wings. How in the world does Daniel know that's going to happen? How does he know that Alexander the Great will come in and drive out the media Persian empire and when he gets ready to die, he's going to transfer that to four different kings and it's going to be divided among, those four kings are going to take their various areas and they're going to fight with one another, basically. Because the leopard has four heads and four wings because, listen, God's plans aren't interrupted. In spite of the uncertainty of the world in which we live, God's plans are not interrupted. He will bring to pass that. The four-headed leopard, the Greek empire, reminds us that even when nations quarrel among themselves, God is in control, pure and simple. Even when the nations are quarreling among themselves, God is in control. This is so relevant to the world in which you and I live, isn't it? We look at news, we feel the, the great sea moving, churning. The world in which we live feels so uncertain. And the nations argue with the nations, and yet God is still in control. God says, listen, the leopard has four heads. The Greeks had four leaders, but guess what? that kingdom will come and go too, because it's only the kingdom of God that lasts forever. It was said of Alexander the Great who took the world by storm. At age 32, he wept because there was no more land to conquer. <laughs> okay. like, uh, like that was it. Like he's at the pinnacle thinking he owns everything. He doesn't, but this is the world in which he would see the Greek Empire is now spreading beyond where the Media persian Empire had, and significantly down into northern Africa there, and pushing up onto Egypt, you can see that they, the, another kingdom was expanding. Another kingdom attacked and devoured. In fact, the wings represent the fact that the Greek Empire came quickly, they did. By the way, let me just pause here, and just give you a, a snapshot of history. And why this Greek Empire and what they did was important. Because the Greeks attempted to not only take over by force, but they also realized that, listen, you could not hold on to the force forever because these other kingdoms had bigger armies and eventually they took you over. So the Greeks said, listen, here's what we're going to do we're going to try to establish um, an educational system into the places that we have captured so that our educational system will allow the Greek culture to endure much longer, and you know what happens? They take their language, the Greek language, and they begin to train everybody in the Greek language, kind of like a little bit like English is today, but the Greek language was better. Okay, But but here's the picture. They begin to say there's two ways that Greek can be written, one in the intellectual Greek and one in the common, Koine Greek, the common language that you would make grocery list out of, Eugene Peterson says. It wasn't the highfalutin language that you'd write poetry in. And the Greeks said, listen, let's just teach everybody the common language so that when your New Testament at the time of Christ begins to be written, it's written in the Greek language. An incredibly beautiful language that has nuances that other languages don't have, including our own, that has other language nuances that our language doesn't have. As if God was saying, I'm going to bring about the very language that half the Bible will be written in so that people will understand what I'm trying to communicate. Do you understand? He's moving whole empires so that you can hear John 3.16 We look at those empires and we think, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And God is totally in control. Totally in control. The forehead of the leopard, the Greek empire, reminds us that even when nations quarrel among themselves, God is in control. Hey, say it with me just a couple more times. Say it like you mean it. Here we go. The kingdom of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Now, this is an artist's conception, this next image, but I like it because... Because Daniel said he was frightened by it. It was terrifying. And when I look for images on the internet, I know these must be true because I found them on the internet, okay? When I look for images, I couldn't find anything that was frightening enough. But imagine if this showed up in your dream, okay? And here we go. Starting at verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns and brought, and behold, as I was thinking about them, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. This represents the Roman Empire. I'm going to tell you. You say, "What about those ten horns?" You're going to have to come back next week. Okay, I'm just telling you now. Okay, that's next week's discussion, right? But for right now, I just want you to think of the Roman Empire, history past, not all the way in the future, like we'll get to next week. Okay, but the Roman Empire. Notice what happened. It expanded all the way across northern Africa, all the way up into Asia, all the way across over to the other side of the Mediterranean. This is the Roman Empire. In fact, it was like that. It was like a beast. Where the Greeks attempted to win their discussions intellectually, the Romans simply attempted to win theirs by force. They just said, listen, let's build roads. Let's move our soldiers through those roads so that we got to build roads so we can move armies in a hurry, right? And they did. They were powerful and they wiped out all sorts of people until those people would come into submission to them. And all you gotta do is fast forward into the pages of your New Testament to realize how frightened everybody was of them, right? How like like they controlled Israel and nobody in, in none of the Jews were able to overthrow them, even though they attempted to. The point is this the Roman Empire was incredibly, incredibly powerful. It was frightening. Not unlike you and I might kind of think of Russia today powerful, frightening. In fact, maybe we can just learn this lesson from the beast of the Roman Empire. Especially when world events frighten you, God is in control. Especially when world events frighten you, God is in control. Especially when world events frighten you, God is in control. Now, those 10 horns that come up, one of them tends to take control and become even more vocal, and I'm going to have to unpack that for you next week, but I'll just give you a taste of it, okay? If you thought that prophecy was stuff that we were thinking about in the 20th century, clear back around 400 AD, Jerome said of this horn, the Antichrist is one of the human race in whom Satan will wholly take up his residence in bodily form, right? So it's frightening. The beast is frightening, not only that, let me just show you something else that caught, almost caught me off guard. I guess I knew it, but watch what happens when we look at a map of these various empires. I'm going to go back, Babylonian Empire, concentrate on the yellow square, okay? Just watch what happens to the yellow square, Media Persian Empire. Now, all of a sudden, the Greek Empire goes further to the east. The Roman Empire goes further to the west but notice what is never out of the grip of the kingdoms of men." How many know where that spot is on the map? That's the nation of what? Israel, that's exactly right. Just look at those maps again and understand that wherever those empires came, wherever they went, they always had a focus, a stronghold on holding on to Israel. That's going to come later, next week. Here you go, number two. When leaders flaunt power, God's strength is far greater. When leaders flaunt power. God's strength is far greater. I started with Daniel chapter 7, verses 9, 10, and 11, because I wanted you to see the strength of the Lord that is placed there. But this little horn that becomes a big horn that raises up off the skull of the Roman Empire, that particular horn, that particular kingdom brags, it's braggadocious, but I want you to see what happens to it. And I looked then, because the sound of great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Not only this, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. A picture is worth a thousand words, so just watch this. Whether it's Babylon, whether it's Medo-Persian, whether it's the Greek Empire, or whether it's the Roman Empire, in history, they all disappear. Here's the last one, third one. When wrongs are committed, God's justice will prevail. Man, do we long for that? Do we long for God's justice to prevail when wrongs are committed? Every part of us wants to do something. We see someone, Russia, move in on Ukraine, we say, that can't be right. Like, those people were free. What's happening there? That there's an injustice taking place. Somebody do something now. Like, we want justice to prevail. I'm reminded of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's translation of the poem, Retribution. He says, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but grind exceedingly fine. And you're going to see that with God. Look at Daniel chapter seven, verse nine and 10. And as I look, the thrones were placed and the ancient of days took a seat. That's a reference to God the Father, eternal. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head is like pure wool and his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Sounds just like out of Ezekiel, this idea that this throne could spin, could move, could turn like a, a wheelchair in zero degree turning, just, just turn. In other words, wherever you were going, you could not escape it. And the stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. I did that math. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Now, just settle in. The kingdoms of men, they can't stand up against a 100 million of God's army. And the point is this, that with all of those, all of that power around God, The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened, and it's like God says, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, all of you kings, Alexander, come up. You will be judged. When wrongs are committed, God's justice will prevail. But all of that being said, that's not the best part of this passage. Ready? Here's your last idea. When other kingdoms fail, God's son will endure. When other kingdoms fail, God's son will endure. There is a reference in Daniel chapter 7. In fact, most of the reading I did this week told me that, listen, Daniel chapter 7 is is maybe the most important chapter in the book of Daniel. All the cool stories about Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 7 is so important. And they said, because it's kind of the turning point of the prophecy, but I think here is why it is equally as important. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In other words, when God was done with these kingdoms of men, he didn't need them anymore. I saw in the night visions, here it comes, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, just let me pause and talk about that for a second. Did you realize that when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the phrase, the son of man, is Jesus' favorite use of referring to himself? Now, if you thought, well, that's because he's the son of God and he's the son of man. Son of God is his deity. Son of man is his humanity. Ah, ah, ah. It isn't referencing his humanity here. In fact, I'll show you that. Because look at verse 14. Look at what's given to him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion and his everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Do not miss this. This means that the son's kingdom endures. Okay, Everything else passes away. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow on the news. I feel badly for people whose lives are taken from them and I recognize that that may someday come to us as well, even here in a free country. But the thing that gives me hope is not that it will get better, but that the son's kingdom will endure. That's where your hope has to be. In fact, just look at the connection here. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, obviously referring to the deity of Christ. And he came to the ancient of days, to the God, the Father, and it was presented before him. Now now watch, watch this. This phrase, there was with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. This isn't the only occurrence of this phrase in the Bible. In fact, let me transport you way forward into the New Testament. Here is Jesus being tried, one false witness after another prior to his crucifixion, coming up, coming up. They come up, they, they can't even get their stories together. And Caiaphas looks at Jesus, and he says to Jesus, hey, listen, aren't you going to say anything? And the scripture says that Jesus was silent. They can't pin anything on him. They can't crucify him until he says something. See this phrase? The clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Look at what Jesus does with that in Matthew 26. And the high priest said to him, I assure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And right there, Caiaphas rips his robes and says, it's blasphemy. He just claimed to be God. The one you see, the one Daniel saw in his vision, is the one Jesus in Matthew 26 says was him, right? It's like he says, oh, Daniel chapter 7, that vision Daniel had, that was me. I am the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You do not want to miss this. In Daniel chapter 7, Jesus is the one and he is the reason why the kingdom of God endures because he endures. In fact, just look at what Paul does with this in Ephesians chapter 1 He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Sounds just like Daniel 7. Same kind of thing. Listen, the kingdoms of men killed him, but he rose from the dead. Why? Because the Son of God endures. That's why. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Sounds just like the end of Daniel chapter 7. All of this was given to Christ and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When other kingdoms fail, God's son will endure. Wow. Just got to tell you, that is an amazing, amazing thought. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.